Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Real Vision Crypto. I'm Ash Bennington. Today, I'm joined by Mike Belshi, co-founder and CEO of BitGo. Today, we talk about digital asset custody, infrastructure, investing and trading, and the future of the digital asset space. Mike, welcome back to Real Vision. Great to see you again, Ash. Where are we today with the custody business? Sure. Well, custody has evolved tremendously. Um, again, back in the early days, you know, going all the way back to 2013, you know, uh, none of the traditional banks were participating. None of the incumbents were participating. It's a brand new asset class. They barely knew what it was. It was very tiny as well. Um, so, People were figuring out, you know, what to do, and self custody emerged. Um, actually, a whole new market structure uh, ended up being created that we haven't seen for a very long time, which is the verticalized exchange, right? Where exchanges take on the role of brokers, exchanges, clearing houses, and custody, um, which is a lot in in a single house. And in traditional industries, in equities markets, for the stock market or uh, derivatives and um, uh, commodities market. We don't typically uh, build markets this way. So uh, custody in 2013 was very different. 2016 was starting to get a little bit bigger. Um, you know, Bitco built uh, its trust company. Uh, 2017, 2018 was the first digital asset uh, uh, designed uh, trust custodian here in the U.S. Started with South Dakota. We now have uh, regulated entities in both South Dakota and New York, Switzerland and Germany. Um, so a lot has has evolved. There's a number of other um, custodians also uh, with regulatory oversight in various jurisdictions. Um, in the 2017 timeframe, we started to see smart contracts really take off. This led to the ICO boom and kind of that 2017-2018 bubble. And then kind of things recessed a little bit while use cases got built. Um, that application of the ICO, you know, there was some excitement at the time that that was going to be something that drives digital assets. I think now people are uh, uh, all in agreement that no, the ICO isn't a very good application by itself. But in the wake of that, a number of applications have started to emerge in the DeFi space. Um, we see a lot now. You see NFTs starting to emerge. Um, these development platforms are getting stronger in part because we know how to secure them both in a hot wallet self-custody mode where you know individual participants are holding their own keys and also in a regulated and custodial mode. So now we're starting to see the applications come together. And on top of that, we're starting to see institutions, corporates, um, a new class of entity participate in digital assets that hasn't been able to before. And the structures and security and safety measures that we built allow them to do so. So whereas the incumbents looked at, you know, Bitcoin back in, you know, 2014 after that first wave or digital assets more broadly in 2017 after the second wave, and both times they looked at the industry and they didn't see something that had the safety, the checks and balances, the regulatory uh, oversight that they could invest and participate in. That's changed. And so that's what we've seen with the kind of this latest uh, move in digital asset price over the last year and a half. Hmm. And I also think, of course, the, the backstop of the coronavirus pandemic and the effect that that's had on our fiscal policy 
has definitely reinvigorated, um, you know, institutional interest in digital digital assets. But but now they're finding custody is actually in a pretty good pretty good spot, and they are participating. Yeah. So you talked about the expansion of the space, the maturation process uh, that the space is going through. Give us the 50,000 foot overview uh, of the services that you provide at BitGo and how they interface with the space as you currently see it. In the early days, BitGo was very much just a technology and you know security company. We were uh, pioneering multi-signature capabilities, which before that didn't exist. And there were a number of failures in the system. Let's tell people who may not understand what multi-sig capabilities are and why they're so important. So multi-signature is a, a technology where we eliminate single points of failure. Um, and when you get into how you secure anything, um, a common principle is eliminate any single point of failure. So that is, you know, if one person has access to a large amount of assets, split it across two or three people, right? Um, if it's protected by one digital asset key, split it across two or three or four uh, digital asset keys. So it's a mechanism for enabling security by way of eliminating any um, uh, common failure element. There's a number of ways to do this today at the technological level, and different companies are pursuing different ones. Uh, threshold signature key, threshold signature schemes are coming along, which is another cryptographic technology that allows us to do something similar to multi-sig. Um, Bitco is pushing hard on that right now. Um, and uh, there's other variants of, of something called MPC, which is multi-party computation. I think the early phases of that um, had some goodness and then didn't quite have you know, backup keys and, and, and things like that in place. Um, so whenever you start talking about security, first, there's the elimination of single points of failure. And then second, with digital assets, humans have proven to be not very good at keeping backups. Um, we all worry about theft. Uh, which is where somebody comes and steals it from you. But quite common, we also just lose it. You know, we, we lose our passwords, our hard disks crash, we didn't keep a backup, a building burns down. Um, and when it comes to digital assets that are protecting, you know, billions of dollars, you have to be really careful about how this works. So multi-signature technology allows us to protect against both theft and loss. It's, in, it's done in a way that, you know, insurance underwriters understands that we're able to get a very good insurance program um, you know, kind of behind it as a backstop. By the way, insurance is a lengthy topic. So uh, just, you can't just take the word insurance at, at face value and assume it, you fully understand it, but happy to go deeper than that if you want. Um, all right. So anyway, back to your original question. Uh, you know, we started as a security company. Uh, eventually, fid fiduciaries started coming into the space. And of course, uh, we wanted to be able to help them. Now, a fiduciary is holding assets on behalf of their clients. And you can't be a good fiduciary if you're holding on to the keys for your client's assets. It's just you, you would never want to have a financial advisor and you say, you just give him your money and, um, right. and he takes care of it for you. Um, so they had a need for regulated entity. They need custody. They need banks that they can participate, custodians they can participate with um, in order to service. And so that's when we, we went the full regulated route. And that's been very successful. On top of that, um, you know, that base custody, which is security plus regulated custody for fiduciaries institutions, um, we then get into more financial services. So we do uh, trading uh, through BitGo, but BitGo is not an exchange. So unlike the exchanges, which are the verticalized stack that I mentioned earlier, uh, BitGo is first and foremost a custodian, but our clients want to be able to trade uh, straight out of cold storage. They don't want to have to sacrifice security by sending it off to an exchange of 
you know, less, less known security and safety measures. So we enable abilities to trade through BitGo where we hit multiple liquidity partners. So we can hit multiple exchanges and market makers and others, get you the best price. You trade it all straight from cold storage, you never had to move it out. Um, so you no longer have to make the sacrifice between security and, you know, good trading um, li uh, liquidity prices. Uh, and then finally, we do a lot of uh, lending and borrowing of digital assets. So overall, this is building services towards uh, you know, digital asset prime brokerage. Um, prime brokerage means a lot of things to a lot of people. So when you right. say prime brokerage, you have to kind of put a star star on that one too, because we're used to the idea of prime brokerage from a uh, traditional markets perspective, which is a broad set of services that have been built over decades. And the digital asset industry is really building it kind of from the beginning. So this comes down to uh, agency models of trade, you know, ability to have margin on top of that, keep all the security and safety where collateral and assets are held inside of BitGo. So you've got the custody side and you're describing the prime services side, which are uh, functions uh, that are provided to institutional investors, uh, a suite of services that mirror some of what we've seen in the traditional asset space. Uh, for example, if you're a hedge fund, you have a prime brokerage relationship uh, with a bank uh, who provides services around things like lending, uh, margin, settlement services, and all of the ancillary uh, services that are associated with actually executing uh, the financial transactions that you make. It is kind of a, a complicated stack. And in many ways, uh, it's, it's sort of, as you say, uh, evolving. Uh, what do you see as the future direction of that space? Well, I, th I think we're seeing a couple things. First off, traditional uh, finance is starting to take notice of digital assets, Bitcoin, et cetera. Um, and there's been a tremendous flow of people from that industry coming into the digital asset space. Um, yeah. This is fantastic because they have a lot of knowledge of how markets work in a deep way um, and can start to offer some of the more mature products that will come for digital assets. So this can include derivatives access, include structured products. Um, it's gonna include ways to manage your risk that you can't do today in digital assets. But the digital asset world has some advantages over traditional finance. It's not the same. And we don't want to build the same old markets. Um, you know, today, uh, exchanges are largely pre-funded. Um, there's some good news about that. It means that there's less counterparty risk, assuming that the exchange itself uh, is safe. Everything's pre-funded. You don't have to worry about a clearinghouse because uh, everybody's already fully funded at the time of the trade. Um, on the other hand, it introduces some weakness. Like I, like I said, we didn't have got the, the market structure quite right. So um, you're correct. We are on, on path to provide a broader set of services. But I think when we do it with digital assets, you're going to see that we maintain transparency in a way that everyone can see what's going on better than it's ever been done before. And also you're going to see that um, uh, everybody's able to participate in different ways. So, uh, I'm sorry, at the same level, without having to be a bank. Um, and, right. and this is you know where DeFi starts to get particularly exciting. Now, I know some people are worried that DeFi is like even more Wild West than, than, than crypto was. Um, so DeFi is the ability, you hold your own keys, and yet you can participate in financial services. Um, one emergence over the last few years is this notion of an automated market maker. Um, in the past, in traditional markets, market makers had to be uh, well capitalized, had to have a lot of, lot of funding, right? Because um, they had to use their own proprietary money, had to get a bunch of licensing, um, which costs a lot of money, and have you know, pretty heavy lift to get into that space. Those market makers over the years, and you can you can read economic research papers about how to build a great market maker. Um, how do you compute what is the price that you should be paying or 
um, are taking in order to buy sell assets at any time. Uh, that research, although fantastic academic research, has been only usable by those with enough capital and regulatory clearance to use it. We've had a very small number of traditional finance companies that are able to participate there. That leads to less competition, less transparency, more opportunity for abuse. And there has been abuse, of course, in traditional markets since the dawn of time. That's why we have so many regulators here in the United States. Um, as we shift that over to, uh, to DeFi, everybody gets to participate. Guess what? I think the regulatory gets easier because it's now, instead of humans on the other side of these market makers that you know may or may not abide by the rules on any given day of the week, software, smart contracts, absolutely abides by the rules every single day of the week, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, so it's, it's much more automated and open. Um, overall, the, problem, the, the future is, is very bright as we move this into to software. Hey, if you like this clip, be sure to check out the full interview and more only on realvision.com forward slash crypto. It's 100% free. Sign up now.